gendered issue for all women. Oh, hey, Mickey here again. I know. Thank goodness my dulcet tones are exactly this dulcet, or I'd fear you'd be sick of me. In this, the second portion of Sunday Chops, you are very welcome, I am chatting to Pauline Mitlin, a.k.a. Mrs Doyle from Father Ted, Libby Croker from Shameless, Yvonne Cotton in EastEnders and many theatre roles, including right now Mother Courage in Red Ladder Theatre's immersive promenade production of Breck's classic Mother Courage and Her Children. I went to see the play before chatting to Pauline and it is genuinely a remarkable piece of theatre. If, like me, you're up north and Leeds is reachable, I very much recommend that you see it. It's on until October the 20th in the basement of the Albion Electric Warehouse, which serves as the perfect setting to a chillingly timely look at the ravages of war and the people who seek to thrive therein. Though faithful to Brecht, it is also packed with wit, cracking performances from the Nine Strong cast, a shit ton of swearing and some corking songs. Well done, Red Ladder, and a happy 50th birthday. Visit www.leesplayhouse.org.uk for tickets. A heads up that I wound up with the most immense girl crush on Pauline. She is a delight. We chatted about Mother Courage, Father Ted, the perils of warm poo and needy cats, knitting tea cosies, and that time she may or may not have flashed Tom Cruise. Over on the other chops this week, uh, it's, it's me again, and I am chatting Black History Month with Imriel Morgan, host of the Wannabe podcast and CEO of the Shoutout Network. We talk stuff to do in Black History Month, films to watch, how Windrush affected her family and much, much more. The usual admin. Please spare a couple of minutes to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and maybe drop us a rating, <coughs> five stars please, and a wee review because it is very helpful. Thanks very much. Any spare coin you'd like to throw our way is hugely appreciated and you can do that via our Patreon page which you will find at www.patreon.com forward slash standard issue. We have got some cracking live shows coming up, so come see us. The next two are both at Leicester Square Theatre. On October the 28th, we've got June Sarpong, Lisa Riley and Stacey Solomon. Crikey, Chief! And on November the 20th, we're letting some blokes do a bit of talking. I know, right? Let us hope that Richard Herring, David Morrissey and Colin Jackson do International Men's Day proud. You can grab your tickets from www.leicestersquaretheatre.com. But now... I can't believe I got to have a cup of tea with Mrs Doyle. Ah, oh, go on, go on. Catch me, I'm swooning. Hello, Mickey here. I am joined by Irish actress and author Pauline McLean, who you'll no doubt know as Tea Pusher, Mrs Doyle from Father Ted, as well as her roles in Shameless, EastEnders and much, much more. Hey, Pauline. Hello there. Well, we start with a sad, sad state of oh. affairs as your mug is damaged. It's, do you know, it's a double whammy this week because, yes, we've set Mother Courage up and, and she's off and out there to the public seeking entertainment, but there's a lot of sadness in my life. As, not as a result of that, though it has happened around the show, and mm-hmm. it is this. Two cats of mine have died. Well, one is very injured, and I have it in my hands at the moment, and to paint a picture for those of you listening in... It's a pussycat mug that I bought recently in Australia when I was over there on a job. It comes from a long way to go from mug. So I can't replace it. Uh, That's number one. And secondly, while I was washing it today, before I do run a bit of water through it from time to time, I myself, through the strength of my will and washing, uh, broke the handle on it. 
and it's now in um, three pieces. And that's, that's no good. And it follows on the back of, on Sunday, when I was having a very silent day, because Mother Courage is a bit of a beast of a show. It's three hours long, and we'd, you know, had a production week where we were doing things again and again and again and again, again. And there's a lot of emotional wailing and screaming, just towards the very end, which we did again and again and again and again mm-hmm. one day. So, you know, we were all quite tired uh, vocally. So I did my washing. I said all of five minutes worth of chat to my husband, none of which was very interesting. <laughs> and then I put the washing back into the washing machine and turned it into a dryer, for it is a washer-dryer, without realising that my favourite cat T-shirt had gone in. Oh, no. And it was a black T-shirt with an enormous white cat's face on. And Purpose's face melted. It melted, and he's dead. He's dead. He cannot be saved. There's no saving her pussy. So that's two pussycats. What? Your reliability. Oh, my word. You know, and I'm worried now about the rule of three. So please don't let me near another cat for the next one. No cats for you. No, no, no. And I love them. I love them. You're a big cat fan. We're going to chat a bit about that later. Mm -hmm. Yeah. More cat chat later. Keep tuned in, guys. (laughs) So I have just seen you being utterly incredible. You made me cry. <laughs> and while at the same time hauling a tinker's wagon through a warehouse in Red Ladder's immersive production of Rex, Mother Courage and Her Children, bloody hell, that looked knackering. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a real physical mm-hmm. and emotional yeah. tour de force. Yeah, it's um. Well, I suppose once you get going, you you don't you don't notice really. You just cut the as with the curses, keep on moving on, you know. Um, and I, I guess when you're in the melee, it's just you don't notice. But it is, yeah. Certainly on two show days, it's six hours of of running around and and roaring at people and trying to trying to break them <laughs> <laughs> and make them do what you want as a character. But yeah, look, at it's one of the great huge roles for a woman in world drama. So you know, to get a crack at it. It's such a thrill for me and to be surrounded by a brilliant company of actors who, believe me, it's not just me out there. You know, like there are nine people out on that stage and we're all doing a similar job. I just happen to have more words than everyone else to string together. But the rest are are doing just as huge a job. Uh, But, you know, I guess it's, look at every actor. They'd be a liar if they tell you this isn't true. Every actor loves a good opportunity to show off. And that's <laughs> what we're getting to do in this. Because it's sheer entertainment, really, isn't it? No matter that it's, you know, vile things happen in it. There are a lot of really unsavoury characters. It's a whack and great story, though. Um, the music is fantastic, you know. And you get to literally walk around with her and her cart and just be part of the action. Although not audience participation. A thing I hate. <laughs> so, hang, hang on, hang on. I'm going to leap in and correct no, Pauline here. Because no. I, I got roped in. <laughs> well. Tell them what you did to me. It was just a little slut drop into your lap. <laughs> a little bit of twerking that was going on anyway. It was your own fault. You sat right beside a pillar. And where else would I pole dance but be there? So you'll know for again. Who knew that Mother Courage was a twerker? <laughs> yeah. Even in the 1600s, you know, that there's nothing new under the sun, is there really? <laughs> you mentioned that obviously it is a huge role for a woman. There's a lot of words there's a lot of emotion you get to do a whole load of showing off as you put it what about the character aside from that drew you to want to do this particular production well um it's been kind of in the air for a few years really because um rod dixon who runs red ladder he's the artistic director and who directed the show as well he had seen me in a few shows in london and um he'd always had 
poor deluded man. He'd always had the idea that maybe I'd make a good mother courage. And he always knew it was going to be for the 50th anniversary of Red Ladder. And, you know, it had all of the elements to it that I really like and wanted, which is like when I started off, it doesn't end, but it was 1983, so that's some 30-something years ago. But like I was just out of college. There was a big recession in Ireland. I had been mucking around in the student drama department, or not department even, we didn't even have a department. It was um, just the Student Drama Society in Trinity College in Dublin and neglecting my actual degree, which was in history of art. But um, marvellous four years. Oh, my word, when swap. <laughs> over the world but I'd mostly you know through the School of Hard Knocks I'd learned how productions are put together and the whole lot and a whole lot of people that I'd been with in the Student Drama Society when we moved out into the recession realised we had no skills anyway you know we couldn't even brew up a cup of coffee and it was pre-barista days you know and <laughs> no one could afford a cup of coffee um, really in Dublin at the time we were hardly able to you know to, to waitress and we had no practical skills like you could hardly you know do our sums basically so there was no good job in the bank coming to any of us nor were there any going anyway so we set up theatre companies and um, and I was with one called Rough Magic um, who are still going and we were quite lefty when we started and of course we thought that nobody else in the whole world had ever been a lefty theatre company before either and they kind of hadn't in Ireland to be honest uh-huh. with you and it was it was at a time when there were a lot of you know the Davids the David Hares you know um, the Howard Brentons and the Howard Barkers they were all writing these really gritty lefty shows and we did do a production of the Caucasian Chalk Circle in which I played Grusha which is the she's the, the main woman if you like so I was familiar with Brecht and we were all very proud of that production and we were known for being a bit radical so when Red Ladder came along. I mean, they're the last truly radical theatre company left in the UK, radical theatre company of the left, anyway. And they came along with this idea to do this classic uh, for the 40th, or 50th, pardon me, I, 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 they're older than you'd think, but 50th, <laughs> um, 50th anniversary, uh, you know, with me in this huge part, I just thought, ah, oh, yeah, back to basics, actually. And, you know, theatre being what I started out in anyway, I thought, yeah, yeah, let's do this. So it has been a bit wonderful. And, you know, for the company itself as well, being 50, they have never done anything that's already extant, if you like, before, because they commission new work. So yeah. this is also a big leap for them to do, you know, a classic. And it is a classic, and it's classic for a reason. And it's a cranky classic. It's hard to do. Brecht is a slippery individual. You know, he wants it all. He wants to kind of keep you at arm's length emotionally, but yet he does want you to feel stuff, I think. you know. Yeah. But, but you can't cheat and you can't go out and manipulate people and you can't go out and do crying acting showing off because that is not allowed as far as I'm concerned. That's cheating, you know. He doesn't allow you to do that sentimental kind of acting. And lots of actresses have, have gone out and done it, I think, you know, and been praised greatly. So I, I'd be very interested. I, I don't read reviews, but at the end of all of this, if it's safe, um, if someone says, yeah, you're all right, I'll read them. But I wonder what people will make of that, that she's very hard-nosed, our mother courage. And yeah, it's, you're um, all right. It's gritty, you know, yeah. It's like, you know, I mean, there are moments of genuine emotion but you made me cry yeah, but that's maybe that was more you than no mother it courage was that noise made you cry. Made. oh right <laughs> absolutely we, we won't tell anyone what the, the noise the is but yeah it wasn't but it's, while you were twerking no <laughs> but there is i do allow myself just um, something at the end which you can interpret as being as she moves on she gathers herself and mm-hmm. lets out uh, various sounds um but or you can take it that she that's as close as she'll ever come to breaking down
we were chatting earlier things. about the fact that like Mother Courage is an incredible character and you you do feel for her and she does make you feel but she's not likable no she's no. pragmatic to the yeah. point of heartlessness she's a survivor yeah. um she's i think stuck with three children mm-hmm. that she you know I, I i often liken it for the others too they say that if a woman gave birth in the forest and it was just herself and maybe the dad or the baby or maybe not um you know the woman is so exhausted by the time the baby comes out and she looks at this crying heap and thinks oh the only way I can get it to stop crying is to, you know, I'll feed it and I'll, I'll, I'll comfort it and it'll stop. And then she'll look at, you're stuck with them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, apparently the dads, uh, now this is broad strokes, but um, the dads look and go, oh, it looks like a mini me. I stick around. <laughs> Not so romantic for the lads. But, you know, I, I do get the feeling, and I could be wrong about this, who knows, but uh, my mother courage anyway, I think it's just stuck with these three kids and she's trying to keep them alive through tough love, very tough love. You know, and then try to sell her wares all all through the war, and she'll do anything to to keep the money coming in and to keep them all alive. Uh, so yeah, it's very pragmatic, and it's bleak, I think, mm-hmm. clearly, and it's underpinned by the idea that virtue isn't rewarded mm-hmm. in and, corrupt times. And yeah. I just wondered whether you thought that could possibly be timely. Well, I think so, and I, I think you know the the whole production has a lot to say to us about war. I mean, look at there are still wars going on very close to yeah. here. You know, um, now this is set. He set it. He wrote it because of the rise of Hitler. Um, you know, and the Third Reich, um, Mr. Brecht, that is. Um, we're doing a version by Lee Hall, uh, which is very bawdy and irreverent and funny and dirty and on the money, I think, uh, for what Brecht wanted. Um, but, you know, he, he wrote it about a 30 years war in Europe, all over Europe, that was at times a religious war or was it an excuse for people to grab property? Who knows? But it just went on and on and on and it shifted. Sometimes the Catholics were in charge, sometimes the Protestants, often in just one day and it went on and on and on and like all wars you just wonder how did this start and when will it end and Mm -hmm. you know and then it just seems to shift to another area of the world doesn't it you look around you see there's a rise of of the right all through Europe at the moment there's a lot of right-wing carry-on in the world itself a lot of war and displacement refugees you look at Syria you know and then I suppose this play without you know hammering people over the head or anything with it this play is incredibly timely now which is really depressing when you think of it you know it's like nothing has changed and there I guess was it Lenin you know believed that history was cyclical like that you know like it just there might be good times but here come the bad times again and no lessons learned whatsoever no we are our own worst enemies are the humans Um, so yeah it does have an awful lot to say about it and I think you know the setting that we're using it's because we're in um, a largely abandoned warehouse. Well, it's not really. It's, it's used for storage. But the downstairs of it, you know, the basement where people go, it looks like a bombed out building, doesn't it? Really it? Does, and, yeah. um, and, you know, everything's crumbling and and we journey for, I hope it doesn't feel like 16 years, but, <laughs> but it is 16 years in the play. And it does, you know, I mean, we have a magnificent community cast who sing with us and everything because the the music and the songs by Buff Qualley of Chiwumba Wumba are fantastic. But they sing with this, but they also come, you know, carrying all of their rucksacks and sleeping bags and the whole lot. And they're like refugees. We're all like refugees. Even the audience just moving from one yeah. place to the next. That's happening on our doorstep even as we speak. 
Shall we have a little positive political chat? Because obviously there was <laughs> well, an excellent <laughs> result in Ireland on oh, May the 25th. Yes, yes. Can I ask you how you felt about the referendum and well, the Eighth Amendment being repealed? Yeah, it was just extraordinary. And um, we've had two referenda in the last while, the Irish, and we're very, very proud of both of them. The first was equality, gay marriage. And, you know, everyone worked really, really hard to get that across the line, but didn't realise just how big the majority in favour, obviously, of a very simple and wonderful thing, that there should be equal marriage for all. Why shouldn't my gay friends suffer as I do, as I said to them (laughs) often enough? Um, But, you know, it was wonderful. And people flew back from all over the world. I flew in myself, actually, to vote and did a bit of campaigning for it beforehand. You won't be surprised to hear that tea was involved. It was the equality campaign that I was involved in. And it was, you know, encouraging people just to talk about it. But the reason why everybody had to be mobilised was we had two goals of trying to get divorce through. Oh, my God, um, and then yeah. it only just snuck through just in 95, didn't it? And it was, it was beaten the first time out by only what amounted to one vote in every ballot box in the country. So things could not be let, you know, slide. So it was a huge and fabulous and happy result. And then we got on to women's health, basically, and uh, the Eighth Amendment in Ireland, which, um, you know, denied rights to a mother, a pregnant mother, and was dangerous. Women died. Many, many women died because of this. Uh, You know, and other heartbreaking things happened to women who had to travel for abortions. So it was time to repeal it. So, yeah, we all got mobilised again. And weirdly, and you would have thought that, you know, this was going to be a lot more divisive because people were very afraid about the gay marriage thing and then they were made to realise there's nothing to be afraid of. The sky will not fall in if we allow this. Only happiness will be throughout the land. And we were very proud of it and everything. And and then we came to this. And it's a very emotive subject, obviously, uh, abortion. And, you know, when you got to telling people, and particularly an older generation, that it was actually a health issue more than anything else, that Ireland is a dangerous place or was at that time for women to live in, then I think when people understood that that was it, you know, that it's not a carte blanche. You can't go in, you know, of a day and go, well, I'll have an abortion, thanks very much. Uh, Today's the day. No, it won't work like that. It's not going to be a free-for-all. But we did manage to get it across the line with greater numbers than had voted for equality in in this same-sex marriage referendum. It was just... I can't tell you. And again, having done a bit of campaigning, I was away here in the UK working and I flew back on the day and all through every airport were women and men wearing repeal jumpers and we were all going back, just giving one another, you know, the signal like, yeah, going back now to vote. And it was just extraordinary. We did a little bit of campaigning ourselves. We went over to Dublin in April and we made a documentary on Repeal the 8th and spoke to loads of amazing women. And actually, Hannah and I went back just recently at the end of September to go on the march for the abortion rights march. Mm -hmm. And now for Northern Ireland. Yes, uh, the sisters in the north need it next. And and we'll be there to help. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. (laughs) I want to ask you about the politics of theatre and acting. Mm. Because as Mrs Doyle... Mm -hmm. As a 30-odd-year-old woman, you played an older woman. Oh, look at the story of my life. I was just only talking about this earlier, actually. When I came out of college in uh, 1983, I was 21 
and I played all of the old crones um, <laughs> in most of the shows. I'm the only actress whose career has gone backwards, in fact, <laughs> when it comes to ageing. Like, I am now playing people of my own age, or younger sometimes. Woohoo! Because I used to joke that the only time I would ever be the romantic lead in anything would be if they made Cocoon 5. <laughs> uh, you know, the movie of... Um, Please so. let them make Cocoon 5. I need <laughs> so to see can that happen. I can be the, yeah, the, the ingenue. <laughs> the young love interest. But yeah, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I always played the the older characters, uh, you know, until quite recently. But yeah, I did start. I started out in theatre, and I still think that there is nothing to beat the live event, whatever kind of entertainment it is. But I think certainly when we come to say Mother Courage, which is the current offering, um, um, it it is yeah fairly nakedly political. I would imagine, you know that. Uh, but I think that theatre is as well. Anyway, um, it certainly can know. be. Yeah, and should yeah. be. I think. Yeah. And I think that, you know, there there were times, uh, and they'll come again, where to even step inside of a theatre was a, a political act of itself, you know. I mean, there have been shows where um, it's, it's really kicking against the system or, or they kick against the system, and, and some do very, very, very well indeed. And, and I think that that's often a reflection of, you know, the times that whatever time we're living in. It can be extremely political, yeah. But in the end of all... I don't like messages, I must say. You know, because you want to, even if there is a message going with the thing, you want it to be delivered so lightly that the person themselves, when they go off into the night, they think about it again and they will make their own minds up. And I think that's very much what Brecht does. And he did always want to, he would say, alienate his audience from the emotion, say, of the characters because he didn't want people to get all enormously emotional about things because then you know, whatever focus you want them to have might be a little bit skewed. Although, as we know, you can't help it when you're in, you know, at one of his plays because there is so much, he's so theatrical that you are going to get everything. And I, I think, you know, whatever the show that you go to see, I mean, certainly from my point of view as a performer, you just don't want to either waste people's money or their time because it's a kind of a rich thing to come to the theatre, isn't it? You know, it, it can be very expensive yeah. and you want to deliver that amount of entertainment uh, to everyone, you know. No, I don't mean entertainment as in, oh, I laughed the whole night long. No, crying is, um, as Miss Joni Mitchell says, laughing and crying, you know, it's the same release. And, uh, you know, I, I, I like that. So, you know, you just want to rattle people up and give them something to think about and go, you know, I got my money's worth there, you know, and, and to be thinking about it for weeks afterwards would be would be wonderful. <laughs> Do you find there are enough roles for a woman of a, a slightly older age? Mm. Is it changing? Because it's renownedly yeah. difficult when women become invisible. Do you feel that's changing? Yeah. I don't know. Um, you know, I, uh, it's, it's such a hard one to, to answer, really. I mean, they say that in world drama, and I, I don't doubt that the figure is nearly the same now as it has been forever, but they say that there are seven men's parts for every one woman's role. Crikey. And that's a lot, isn't it? You know, that's it's, a big ratio against... It's more than the yeah. same, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. do you know? Yeah. So it's a long way to go to kind of redress that balance. A lot of times, you know, you'll have a role can be, in fact, played by a woman and not even change anything about it. Like, you know, it's just traditionally has been a man's role. Just saw say, you know. play Hamlet and did she was you? incredible. Yeah, well, in Dublin. Mm. Yeah, do you know? Did she have a female Ophelia or was there a... Female Ophelia. Yeah, she just the whole played lot. straight. And, I see. So it, was it wasn't that, like, she was just Hamlet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hamlet. You know, yeah. There you just go. Just a stroppy teenager. Yeah. Well, I'm about to head down to the Globe 
down to that London from Leeds, where we speak in, in the glamour of the Albion warehouse. <laughs> um, but I'm headed back to the Globe to go into their candlelit theatre, the Sam Wanamaker, to do a production of Dr. Faustus, and I'm going to be Mephistopheles in it. Amazing! Uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm going to be, and, and you know, my understanding is that fallen angels, aside from Lucifer, who seems to be a man angel and the most beautiful of them all, but the fallen angels are kind of, they're just, they're its, aren't they? They're angels. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a man or a woman. It's whatever you need Mephistopheles to be, that's what Mephistopheles will be. You know, so so that's a bit of, um, that would traditionally have been a man's role. So that's happening. There are women writers who are writing more parts and everything, you know, but uh, I think it's just, you know, it's hard, isn't it, it's to get the work? It's a slow slog, yeah. isn't it, yeah. to get it anywhere near equal? But I wouldn't like equality just for the sake of it, though. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I often get into trouble, you know, when... Um, People are praising, say, um, a women's only writing competition. Like, say it's a women's only playwrights competition. And I go, why can't it just be a playwrights competition? And just don't put the names on. And if the play is good enough, then it's going to win. And it doesn't have to be by a woman or a man, do you know? Keep doing this in a, there's this particular literature award. And for the last few years, they've done it, where they've taken off the names and they've done blind. And all five top five have been women. Well, but when they put the names on, and it yeah. was just it was men getting in. Isn't it's it so interesting? Weird. It is really interesting. J.K. Rowling was told not to put Joanne Rowling on Harry Potter, but to keep it as if it could be a man. Which is frustrating. It's nuts. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, we think it's nuts now, but you know that those were the days. You know, them was the days. So you know, things are changing. Certainly, I think, for instance, that uh, if you look at television and everything, you know, older women are getting a good crack at it now. And to be honest with you, because I'm getting older myself, I find older characters more interesting anyhow. I mean, as you were talking about um, the stroppy teenager that is Hamlet, do you know, if I never saw Hamlet ever again, I'd, I wouldn't <laughs> mind. I've seen a good few productions of it and I just think, uh, yeah, and it's long. It's your four hours long. Come on, I'm getting on here. I'm in my late 50s. I haven't got those hours left of my life. I know what happens in it. <laughs> Sorry to anyone who's in any current production of Hamlet, I'm sure. I'm sure it's wonderful. <laughs> Just return, because I am having a cup of tea with Mrs Doyle, which is amazing. (laughs) I wanted to ask you, when you have a character that is so solidly related to you, it must Mm. be quite hard. Does she follow you around? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. But you know, I mean, why wouldn't she? Like, come on. She's a character in one of the greatest sitcoms ever made. What a bloody thrill to have been Mrs Doyle. I got into a lot of trouble a while back because um, when I was doing Shameless, there was a documentary made about Father Ted. And the company who made it farmed it out to another smaller company indeed and then wanted me to get time off work of Shameless to go down to the west of Ireland to make this documentary that I thought wasn't great anyway when I saw it and for free may I say this was not a a paid thing either and I said no I'm very very busy anyway I am actually actively working on another TV job and I can't go and no so the answer is no and they tried a few times to get me to say yes and I went no look I really can't you know I also I'll be honest with you I had never been back since we had finished the last series and I 
I didn't want to go back because so many things had changed. Dermot's dead. Yeah. Our original producer, Jeffrey Perkins, dead. Uh, do you know, like, um, and some of the other priests, um, you know, that were in it are, are gone. And, and I just wanted to remember it as it was and, and not return. So, you know, there was that in it as well. Anyway, they were that annoyed with me that when the documentary came out, Ardle, in an unguarded moment, said something that wasn't even true. He said, well, I don't know, I, I suppose Pauline tries to, you know, distance herself from Mrs. Doyle. No, if I ever did, it was only that I hoped people would see that there was a younger woman playing an older woman and that, that I wouldn't always be sent for elderly tea ladies. You know, that in that way, yes. Yeah. You know, because let's face it, they're never going to be quite as good a tea lady as Mrs. Doyle. You, you know. nailed it. That was you know? it. So, so um, they left that in and then they put a line under a bit of me doing something saying, Miss McLean declined to take part in this documentary. And they shafted me. Well, the, the onslaught of hate um, oh, that I got backlash. yeah it was like so. And several times I've explained the situation and said I literally was not available you know I mean that's the truth and, and even now it gets thrown back up you know uh, so and then people you know were really upset that I should be so ungrateful to Father Ted look I couldn't be more grateful to have been in that series I love her. I love it. I watch it now and I laugh myself. I've forgotten so much about it. I go, oh, this is the episode where, you know, where this is. But um, yeah, the devotion to it is, is fabulous. And not, not too bad, you know, like uh, people get a bit of dreads when they see me, if they recognise me on the street. And it's always very worrisome. It's worrisome if I haven't opened my mouth and they still recognise it's me. Because I'm becoming her age now. In spite of shaving every day, the little sideburns and everything. Oh no, people know. But you know what they get? And I've seen it happen with other people who have catchphrases. Like um, I have seen it happen to Richard Wilson. I have seen people who should know better shouting, I don't believe it, at him. And people will shout at me, will you have a cup of tea? Go on, go on, go on. The whole lot, you know. And it's kind of like they just can't help themselves it's like instant Tourette but it's only because people love it yeah. you know it comes and from a good place totally. kind of and it will go on forever so you know anyone who has a problem with it needs to cop on to themselves anyone who's in it and nobody does you know because we get a new generation every year like you can watch you can show your kids this and they'll see almost like a cartoon with real people in it and they think it's really funny because it's really stupidly funny so you know you get them young and then as the years go on they enjoy it more and more or they'll see other things in it and so we get a whole new range of fans every year so it's bigger now than it ever was did they send you weird shit no you know i haven't had anything in ages oh no no not that that's <laughs> not, <laughs> not that invitation. people need to start sending me things Do you know I, I remember when we were actually making it and the whole lot i got some i used to get letters every so often addressed to mrs doyle from um guys who were training to be priests the letter might start off to pauline but halfway through, they were they were talking to Mrs. Doyle. It was just, oh, bless. It was so sweet, you know. And people sent drawings, you know, and all sorts. And, uh, yeah, and the odd time I'll still be given something. Somebody gave me a great spoon recently that somebody had written, go on, go on, go on. on. Yeah. What a fabulous thing. Yeah. A lovely spoon. Yeah. A lovely spoon. <laughs> Random or what? But it's a fabulous thing, yeah. A lot of your characters, because obviously Mother Courage is a talker, even mm. though it quite often lands her in trouble. Ah, yeah. Uh, and Mrs. <laughs> That's Doyle, talk. <laughs> Libby in Shameless. And mm. you played Winnie in Beckett's Happy Days as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. 
what is it about talkers? Well, I mean... <laughs> I suppose, you know, for me uh, as well, it's because, that, you know, obviously I do talk a lot because uh, I'm Irish. Now, I don't know whether that's just... Uh, but I think we do, you know, the Irish, we tell stories. You yeah. know, we're great storytellers. And I mean, maybe it goes back to the time when not everybody... Because I'm a peasant. And my great-grandmother and great-grandfather could write and read. But that was unusual enough for, for them. You know, like, I mean, I'm I'm the first one in my family, uh, uh, the first woman in my family to have gone to college, you know, and it's like in living memory, I'm not that old, but, <laughs> you know, but, you know, so it's um, pre the reading and writing, which really only goes back a few generations. Storytelling, it was a, an oral tradition. And I think that that's why we have so many good writers. It's because the story is everything. Ah, oh, well, uh, thank you. Know. You've just led very neatly onto the fact that you also write books, which Quite I'm not sure yes. people... But definitely, uh, no, no, it, that, that, that might be it's true ten. to say. Are you in 10? Yeah, two of which now are for like 10 to 13 year olds. Well, that's yeah, kind of what I wanted to talk yeah. about the Jenny Q series. Yeah, which were. More in the back? No, well, I'm not under contract right anymore. And I see, this is what I need. I, I've started a book, an adult book. And because, of course, nobody is sitting waiting for it, if somebody would even just pay me 100 quid to say, uh, give me a first draft by a certain time, I would then feel that beholden to them. And I would. I need a deadline. And I need to people say you waiting a deadline for now? Yeah. Have you got 100 quid, though? I'll give you That's the important quid. bit. Give you Ooh. And you got now I've got to February. do it. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I could be Mephistopheles at night in, in the San Juan Maker and writing by day. Well, you know, that is, isn't that what they say? If you want something, do and give it to a busy person. You know, because I, I really... I, I'm more inclined, you know, to get everything done while I'm Once juggling going, the two. Just yeah, going, yeah, just to, so I have started one, but it's been desultory. And I mean, the bit that's written, I think I I read it every so often when I try to start again, and I think Geez, that's not half bad, is it? You know, <laughs> but because yeah, I'm not under contract, and I was when I wrote the um, all of the other books, like the eight adult novels that I'd... It's hard to know how to describe them anymore since Fifty Shades of, Shades of Grey, isn't it? You know, you just think, no, they're not that kind of adult book. No, they're the grown-up book, maybe. It's books, weird maybe. you wanted to do this interview in a gimp mask, though. Yeah. <laughs> you know, at least I've taken the ball out of my mouth, you know, so... Um, <laughs> so that people can understand my message. <laughs> And it is a little bit sweaty, which is not good for a menopausal woman um, like myself. But you look at, we'll struggle through. Those those are the trials of life. Um, but yeah, the first eight were grown-up books. And then I kind of ran out of stories to tell, to be honest with you. So so I tried two for um, for 10 to 13-year-olds. And actually, I stopped. The, the little girl in the book um, is 13. I didn't go any further because kids these days are an awful lot more advanced than they were when I was 13 or 14. And anything beyond that, you're into sex and drugs, you know. And I just thought to myself, can you imagine a parent coming to me and saying, my daughter read your book about Jenny Q, and now do you know what she's doing? And I was like, oh no, I'm hardly responsible for myself, let alone other people's kids. So I kept it, you know, just, just slightly younger. But they were no harder, or no less hard, I should say, to write than, than the grown-ups ones, you know? Kids just, you've got to keep it moving really quickly, yeah. you know, or they bore very easily, you know? it's uh, So they were... They, 
quite tough to do, though I loved doing them, I must say, because I think that's kind of my mental age, to be <laughs> honest with you. I yeah. think if you find it funny and then it turns out to be a kid's book, then that is absolutely fair enough. Totally, totally. Yeah. And I know some adults have read them as well and, and just enjoyed them just as much as the so-called grown-up books that I've written. So what, what's a girl to do? <laughs> but it is all the storytelling, though. You know, I yeah. think that's why there's so many comedians come out of Ireland as yeah. well. It's because most of them you will find tell stories. Yeah, bloody Blarney uh, you know, Stone. Yeah, you know. I'd, and for some reason, I don't get it. The rest of the world seems to love an Irish accent oh, as gorgeous. well. Because Rod yeah, Dixon, who has directed Mother Courage, said to me in the very beginning, because he's seen me do, you know, RP, English accent, he's seen me doing Cockney, whatever, on stage and the whole lot. And, um, and he said to me, now look, at, there's no question about this, you will be Irish in this because I want that Irish accent for Mother Courage. And you know me, I'm going, oh, can I not show off with a different accent? <laughs> you know, like something else. But it does suit Mother Courage oh, very it really well. Does. Because it is bloody. And there's a little bit of traveller thrown in there, isn't there as well? You know, she's a bit... She's she's a strong-voiced woman, as as some of the community are when they're trying to sell you something, <laughs> you know. So you know, it's 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 all to do with the storytelling. But yeah, the books. Um, I really do look forward to finishing the one I've started. Although it's set, um, it's not set in Ireland, you know. I uh, and there's a particular reason for that. I the first three books um, that I wrote were kind of crime capers that featured um, an Irish private detective called Leo Street. A great fun doing them. I'd return to those as well because um, I, I loved writing Leo. And then I wrote a standalone novel, as the Americans like to call it, and it was called The Woman on the Bus. And it was set actually very close to where an, imagine, an, an imaginary place, very close to where we used to make Father Ted. And anybody from down around there in County Clare will recognise some elements, uh, you know, of the thing. But I got asked would I do the audio version of that. So I had to read it. Now, mm-hmm. I was horrified by some of it because... I've only got three voices, it turns out. I've got a medium, a high and a low. And lots of people would be having conversations in in the book. And the woman on the bus of the title would enter this conversation and be the last person in. So there'd be no voice left for her. So, you know, she she veered all over the place. It was like, oh, it was terrible. And then, um, you know, describing things. And I discovered that I used a phrase in the original, um, the hardback version of it, sleep washed over him. Now, that's... A phrase that you can only use once in your whole life, if ever, you know, sleep washed over anybody. Uh And it might seem lovely, but in fact, if I had my way again now, I wouldn't use it ever. But it turned (laughs) out I had said it not once, but three times in the hardback of the book. Oh, well, I tell you, things got changed between the hardback and the the paperback, you know. It was horrific. And, um, And because it was such hard work doing it as well, I vowed never to set a novel in Ireland ever again so that I would never have to do the audio version of it. However, my little my little chore for anybody who does do my books is I always put an Irish character in because it's a very hard accent to do. And yeah, just put it up to the Doesn't poor old actor. people trying though, does it? No, it should look at it. I've, I've everyone in this cast uh, infected with an Irish accent. But I'm insisting that they say things like, to be sure. Um, you know, You're or to- top of the morning, I feckin' am, you know. <laughs> and I make them repeat things like, we do actually have someone who attempts an Irish accent in the play itself. Indeed, yeah. And it's all based on on, on me, yeah. And, you know, if anyone ever wants to do an Irish accent, they shouldn't try too hard with it. Just flatten out your own accent and then repeat the end of whatever thing, you know, you're saying, like, I won't do that, so I won't. There, you're Irish already. I won't do that, so I won't. So I won't, yeah. 
It's, it's not too bad at all now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you know? She looked, I even know Irish actors who put on an Irish accent when they're doing an Irish accent. It's ridiculous. You know, it's... Um, There's a little trick mad. on Twitter, though. Oh. So if you use fucking in mm-hmm. um, a tweet, oh. then it goes, it goes into the little show replies because you've done a swear. But oh. fecking doesn't do it no well i think now um and i think this is true to say and if not then i'll be devastated but i believe that because of father ted the word feck got into the oxford dictionary i think you might be right yeah yeah and i promise you it was on the back of father ted i once did a tiny part in far and away the nicole and tom Tom cruise Cruise movie yeah i was a hoe in it (laughs) and um, i actually got to flash at uh, tom cruise um, it seems in the movie I don't want to ruin it by telling people whether or not you just see me from behind uh, as a hoe flashing at him. I won't tell you whether I took it, you know, down the route of of method, yeah, or not. But there was, um, when we were in America doing it, there was a, a speech man, uh, you know, an accent coach on, on set, and he was an American, and he actually corrected the way we said fucking one day. And I, thank goodness, um, I remember thinking, he said, it's fucking, you know, he said, and I went, Oh, yeah, so I'll just say that for you. Fucking, is that what you... And he said, exactly, you see what I mean? Now, he he was hearing a different thing completely to me. And I looked behind me, and it was one of those movies where there was... A, but you could smell the money off it, you know? There was a <laughs> bank of producers watching him. And I think he had to be seen to be doing his, his job. Oh, so yeah. I just said, oh, thank you so much. I know, I know exactly what you mean. Thank you, that's great. And then I just went back to doing it exactly the same way, you know, as, as I always had. Americans but, can't say bollocks either. They say yeah. bullocks. Oh, They're confused. Bl- Bless them. Yeah, Bless them. I mean, sort it out, America. It's yeah. terrifying. Yes, as well. Yeah. It's a load of bollocks what you're doing. But anyway, you look at Some of them have their hearts in the right places. Yeah. Some of them, four. I think yeah. four of them. Four, yeah. yeah. Is it only four? We're <laughs> back to four. four. Oh, yeah. no. We promised some cat chat. Yes, so yes, yes. Um, you have two cats, don't I you? do at the moment, yeah. At one stage I had five, uh, which was marvellous, yeah. But um, I travel a lot now, so, you know, the cats... I do have a husband as well, but he's more mobile than the cats. The cats now aren't no inclined to chats. come with cat me. Chat. Yeah, it's cat chat. <laughs> yeah, and uh, he's in charge of them at the moment, yeah. So, yeah, I have two rescues, obviously. You know, you don't... Um, uh, I wouldn't. Don't buy a cat. Oh no, no, don't. Um, and it's nothing to do with the poor cat. It's just breeders. Don't, don't go there. And I also, anyway, a patron of several rescues and an advocate against greyhound racing. And I, I'm part of a, a movement that rescues battery laying hens in in Ireland. And and patron of Birmingham Greyhound Protection here in Birmingham. You know the whole lot. But yes, it, it, on the pussy cats, I do have two at the moment. Two rescues, not rescued indeed from any organisation that I'm patron of. It was just from <laughs> another from Cats Aid in Dublin. And um, yes, um, we came down to having no cats at one point. And my lovely husband, Richard, said, um, and I know it was so that he knew I'd go home from jobs because I, I work him. away from Dublin most of the time, you know, so I'm, I'm on the road a lot. And he said, well, I'm getting cats, even if you're not. And he knew, of course, that uh, once we got the cats, I'd travel home and I'd visit them. And he was right. So yes, we have... Two cats, uh, Brenda and Alice. Uh, they're sisters, names. but you Excellent. wouldn't know. Yeah, uh, Brenda's a little rinky tinky tinky killer, and um, doesn't like being picked up or anything. And yes, wants love. There's a classic uh, cartoon out at the moment that I've seen. The cat is looking up at you know the human, going, "Pet me, pet me." And as the human leans down, with your eyes, <laughs> you know, and that's very much um, Brenda. And then Alice is a big lump who just lives for you know food. 
and um, and just you know rubs and cuddles and um, and playing with little glitter balls. And she only leaves to do her business, and sometimes not even leave the house for that. <laughs> She's needy. I brought her to the vet recently. I said, I'm just worried she might have cystitis. She started pissing in not one but two corners of the house, and you know. All right, I'm becoming a mad old cat lady, but please don't let my house smell of cat piss. You know, yeah, like this, even this I draw the line, right. you know. Yeah, and I've talked to her, you know. And I brought her over and he checked her out and he said, I can't feel anything wrong there. And he said, look, at even in the few minutes she's been in here, can I just say, she's a bit needy, is she? Is she a needy cat? I said, she is. And he said, well, there's no cure for that, I'm afraid, you know. So, yeah. So we've got a needy one and a really independent little yeah. one. And apparently they're sisters, you know. But they do stuff, I think, to get your attention. So mm-hmm. Clarky Cat, my cat, whenever I go away, and sometimes I have to leave him overnight. Oh, and yeah. if I have to leave him overnight, he has started shitting in the bath. Ah, yeah, yeah. And you know what? That could be so much worse. Absolutely. If he only he would to bury it. Though. Oh, yeah, he gets it all over himself. Yeah. Oh no! But you know, if you could just maybe show him that they, because you know, cats can use the loo um, as well, and you oh, know, at least then holes. there's a chance. For, oh no, he's well, going to drown in the he's loo. He's a cow no. in a cat suit. I love him know. dearly, but he is yeah, simple. Yeah. No, no. Leave him. Leave him with the bath. At least you know there's water available. You know, once you've scooped it up and, yeah. and the whole lot, and you know, hopefully by the time you get back the poo is cold because that's the bit about having a dog or a cat and dealing with the poo I can't you know I've gone around with other people's dogs and we have dogs in the family and the whole lot and um, it's picking up we've got dogs in the family (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but it's picking up, you know, with the with the poo bag, picking up the warm poo. Yeah. It's 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 all to do with temperature. You have isn't to really it? love them, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we really love them. But you actually love animals enough that there's something that you do to raise funds for animals. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, I do various things. I must say, but I, I do knit tea cozies yeah. as well. No, I, I knit tea cozies anyway. Uh, when I was coming up to being fifty, and uh, instead of getting a tattoo, which is what I really wanted, but I'll get that when I'm sixty. I want, yeah, well. I'll tell you what I want now and it's going to be fabulous and I will never regret it anybody who says you regret that when you're 80 no I love this one I want to get three ducks flying up my arse <laughs> a la Coronation Street you know the old fashioned duck that duck come on yes. you know how could you ever regret that you know when I'm 80 then I'll be able to say young man Look what I did when I was 60. Look, and I'll hike up um, the folds of flesh on yeah. the arse mm-hmm. and I'll go, see there. You know? Watch that at Tom Cruise. Do you know? Yeah, that'll make him sit up. <laughs> Take the <laughs> eye out of his head. So, yeah, I, I took to knitting um, tea cosies. I don't know, I had always knitted when I was younger and then, for some reason, you know, stopped. And I got, it was like having a vocation. I, I just got the urge to knit again. And I decided I'd knit tea cosies um, because... They're small enough to achieve in a short amount of time, and yet you can have great fun, you know, mixing your yarns and everything. And I, it's just been wonderful. So I, I do actually knit a range of tea cozies called the Go Ons because you know they go on your teapot, and um, so the Go On tea cozies, and uh, I have great fun doing them. But I do a special range of them for, and they come with their own teapots sometimes as well, you know, um, and a special range that go for animal rescue, yeah. And uh, so I'll be, I'm at the moment knitting. A whole load of those as well. Really? Uh, yeah, because there's various um, little fundraisers coming up and the whole lot. So I've got to have got to have my shit ready for that. And where that. do people like bid on them or get hold of them? Well, there's often, um, you know, often on Facebook, you know, there'll be an auction as well, you know, for um, the bigger ones go uh, for the auctions and I just post them out. And actually, I did some recently that weren't for Animal Rescue. They were 
for, uh, I know the family of one of Stephen Port's victims, one of the young men that he murdered and uh, the families, there are four families that are uh, raising funds for their court case to prove that the police um, let them down and two young men died as a result of him not being kept in when they had, you know, they had him in custody. So yes, I I did some tea cosies for those as well. So yeah, there are several good causes. They go on, go far and, you know, and I love the bit of knitting. I I now feel like I'm not, like I'm being a lazy arse if I'm sat in front of the television without knitting while I'm watching the telly. Football matches, flog it, and I, I mourn the demise of flog it. They're, do you know that they're stopping it? They've just uh, it like announced... EBay. Oh, oh no, is, is it a TV you know, program? Yeah, on the Beeb, where people bring along their, their, their possible treasures and then, you know, they're valued. And then, crucially, which makes it much better than the Antiques Roadshow, they bring them to auction and you see how much they make. The devotion in your it. eyes right now is terrifying. Mm, I know, after 17 years, they're getting rid of it. I am in mourning, oh my word. That and Bargain Hunt, oh, you know, I just love Or Antiques Road Trip, oh, yes. So, you know, all, all of these things, I knit while I'm watching them. And, and I also, like... I am magpie when it comes to charity shops and everything and I buy china cups and saucers and I make uh, candles in them for um, selling for animal rescue Amazing. as well you know so it's great fun you mentioned football mm. talk me through why you're an Aston Villa fan ah the sadness in everyone's life um, you, know, <laughs> uh, you know I should be I should be a Liverpool supporter because I was deeply in love with Steve Highway, who played for Ireland um, in his day. Although, as everybody will tell you, he never scored a goal for Ireland. Well, all I remember from when I was growing up was to see Steve Highway running along the wings and it would always result in a goal for Liverpool. That's the way I remember it. And it was pre, you know, John Toshek and Kevin Keegan and I never had the same devotion for them. But anyway, off I went to college, discovered men and theatre <laughs> and going to pictures in the afternoon and drinking your grant away in the evenings you know all that all of that fabulousness and weirdly lost sight of football for a long time and when I came out the other end a friend of mine uh, called Orla said look at we need to get back into football mode and why don't we follow Aston Villa because all of the Irish lads were playing for them at the time oh, you know right, okay. and um, Townsend and McGrath and all of those so we decided we'd pin our, our, our colours to that mast and very hard colours they are to wear too <laughs> the claret and blue oh my word and of course now we're not even in the, the upper flight you know it's You've got um, a new manager is that right? Well the, the other one got fired yesterday yeah so uh, have we a new one? We might have by today <laughs> things move quickly in football you know so yeah I, I would say I'm a supporter I'd love to say fan but you know at the moment things are dire um, so uh, but it's a wonderful football club and I've, I've been up um, you know a, a good number of times to see matches and I, I love it. Yeah. yeah, one of my close friends is an Aston Villa fan and he was delighted oh. that I was going to talk to you. Okay. Could I please mention Aston Villa? Yeah, and there you have it. There yeah, have yeah. It. <laughs> so Mephistopheles next at the Globe. Yeah, When's that? Yeah. Well, we finish here in Leeds in, in the Albion Electric Warehouse. Come along. Some days like today, um, we're doing this on a matinee day. I won't say what day that is, but when you look it up, you'll see. We'll have two days where there's matinees and evening shows. So we do eight shows a week. We're finished on the 20th of this month. So just a scant two and a bit weeks yeah. to go. And then on the Sunday, I'll uh, take myself off, possibly very, very broken and hungover. I get on the train to London and I start in, in the Globe on Monday. 
Jesus, uh, the following Monday. Up. Yeah, 24 hours later, I'll be going, what one is this? Oh, oh Lord. Uh, you know, it'll be very bewildering. So, you know, to be honest with you, it doesn't always happen like that. No. That dovetail into another job. It's quite exciting because, you know, after that then, Roisin Connolly's uh, series Game is face. coming back. Yeah, oh, Roisin, gonna, show. Well, I just adore her and I get to be her showbiz it's mom. Funny. Yeah, I've yeah. seen it. You're You're brilliant wonderful. In it. It's great. I love her. So I am thrilled skin. Well, I wish I was thrilled, actually skinny, but because, um, you know, that'd be great. But thrilled anyway. Uh, so, yeah, once we've done with Dr. Faust, it's then in the Globe. There's a, a, a little bit of time, like a, a week or so off, and then we go back into Game Face 2. Um, she's, I hope, writing it even as we speak. She should be. Um, <laughs> I know what I'll be up to for a while, you know. And, and if anyone's interested, I mean, Johnny English, it's on at the moment um, in, in cinemas. Tiny, tiny little part. Um, are you not but, flashing at Rowan Atkinson, are you? No, no, oh, okay. I, I don't. I know, I know his other half. She flashes at him for me. Um, <laughs> that's uh, probably too much of a personal nature to have sh- shared with you. But yes, <laughs> don't need to. Oh God, you couldn't frighten Rowan like that. He's a lovely, <laughs> gentle, gentle man. Um, you know, he doesn't need that sort of sadness in his life. No one does. <laughs> On that bombshell, thank you so much for talking to us. And thank you. <laughs> Standard Issue for All Women.